from John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. You may be seated. It probably comes as no surprise that in my younger years, I was a little bit rebellious. Just a little bit. Now, I was a rebellious kid with straight A's who didn't start really getting into trouble until high school, but I was rebellious very young. I remember when I was in elementary school, my rebellions were out of a need for justice, a need for fairness. When I felt like I had been dealt a raw hand, I rebelled, I pushed back, and I did what I can only imagine my parents must have felt were the most obnoxious rebellions. I remember one time I got in trouble, and I don't remember what for, but I was doing something that I shouldn't have or didn't do something that I ought to. And for my punishment, my mom told me I was not allowed to watch TV for the rest of the day or the week or something. And I disagreed with that decision. And so not two hours after my mom had declared my punishment, she came walking up the stairs and heard the TV in her bedroom on. I was laying in her bed when she started calling up the stairs, that better not be my TV, I hear. You should know better. And as she walked into the room, there I was, huge grin on my face, because the TV was on, but I wasn't watching it. I had covered it with a cloth. <laughs> I thought I was so clever. <sighs> She looked at me, not amused at all, or impressed by my wit, and she just looks at me and says, I told you no TV, and I said, no, 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 you told me don't watch TV. I'm not. I'm listening to it. <laughs> well, obviously, that didn't work, and she turned off the TV and added another day or week or something to my sentence, which was totally unfair. But for many of us, language like, you ought to do this, or you should do that, can be really frustrating, can be really difficult, whether we're 7 or 72. Now, when it comes to something that we don't agree with, we might put up with it if we need to, maybe we can shrug it off, or maybe we can even try to get out of it, like I did in my childhood. That was not the only time I tried a smart aleck way through a punishment or a chore. But sometimes when we hear that you should, or we ought to, we feel like we should. We feel like we ought. And sometimes it's hard 
to do what we think we should. In our reading from 1 John, John writes, We know love by this, that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? And that is some ought language that doesn't leave me feeling super great. I wouldn't mind throwing a cloth over it, but the truth is, the cloth I want to throw is not because I think it's unfair or unjust. I want to avoid it for the opposite reason, because what John is describing is what God's mercy looks like. It's what God's justice looks like. That is the love that we have been given through Jesus, the unconditional sacrifice of him. This is the calling we've been given as people of God, as followers of Jesus. And Jesus is not an easy act to follow. I don't know if I can lay down my life like I ought. I know that I have goods of this world, and I know that I have failed to help a brother or sister in need. I don't always have change in my pocket when I walk past somebody who's in need on the street. And sometimes I have to say no to asks for donations and charitable giving. Does that mean that God's love doesn't abide in me? I have heard jokes both in the church and outside of it that I must be like the Energizer Bunny. A few of you have said these words to me. I make it to many of the events our church puts on or participates in. I participate in activities and boards out in our community. I have a family life, a social life, and a second very part-time job. So basically, I have a full and often very busy life, and so there are some things I have to say no to, even when I really, really don't want to say no, even when I really want to say yes. You may not know this, but there is a growing interfaith group in our community. It's called the Lower Columbia Interfaith Community, and I got to attend a few of the meetings last year and was on the initial planning committee as they worked on their nonprofit work. Interfaith work is near and dear to my heart. On my internship, I met with imams and mosques and rabbis and synagogues to help me prepare adult education classes. I participated in interfaith Thanksgiving services and was deeply grateful for worship together. And this year, starting in January, the Lower Columbia Interfaith Community moved their meetings to Mondays, which, if you know my schedule, you know that Mondays are usually my day off after a busy weekend. They're usually my day of rest, often the time I do some of the bookkeeping I do for extra money, my time to crunch numbers and give thanks for the concrete answers that somehow always come out when ministry has no concrete answers for me. I'm usually watching The Voice, which is terrible, and I love it, and I cry during every single audition. <laughs> It's my day not to put on my collar. And if there are emergencies or I plan my week around an event, I can find rest on another day. But on the regular, Monday is my Sabbath. I need that day, that time. And so I read the minutes from those meetings that I miss. I give thanks for the work that's being done. And I miss being there. But I don't go. And I have felt that guilt of not going, of not doing everything of not helping my neighbors in the good work they're doing. 
Not only do I face the shoulds and oughts of my own mind, like I should be at those meetings because they're important to our community, I really ought to be a representative of my faith tradition and my church. And I have even run into colleagues who have asked, oh, we haven't seen you. Are you still coming? Do you still, you know, are you still interested? And I'm just like, well, yeah, of course I'm still interested, but it's my day off. And the look of astonishment from fellow clergy when you tell them that you're actually holding that day off doesn't feel super great. I'm hopeful that next year their meetings will change times or dates, or that they'll have a potluck that's not on my sister's bridal shower. And I deal with the way those shoulds and oughts cause my heart to condemn me. Because truthfully, my colleagues do miss me there. They wish I could be there, but they do understand. It's me. It's my heart that condemns me. It's my heart that makes me feel like I should be doing everything. And 1 John reminds me, reminds us, that even with the truth that we should probably be doing more, and we ought to do more, John says, let us love in truth and action, and by this we will know, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and God knows everything. Our God, who knows our hearts, who knows everything, sends us a good shepherd to guide us along the way, to save us from condemnation, a shepherd who knows us too. Jesus says in our gospel reading, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. A shepherd who knows us in our rebellions and in our obedience, in our failures and our successes, in our discernment, in our abilities and our inabilities. A shepherd who knows us even when we might throw a cloth over and don't want to hear what he has to say for us. A shepherd who knows you, who knows your heart, and who loves you. A shepherd who shares with us a kind of love that we can't live up to, a kind of love that hears, I should, and replaces it with, I can. A kind of love that hears, we ought, and replaces it with, we may. A kind of love that sends a son to save the entire world. It's this love that Jesus lays down for us when he lays down his life for us by going to the cross to free our condemned hearts, to take on our guilt and our failures, to bring us God's abiding love. On that cross, Jesus died so that we might be free. Jesus rises from the dead. He takes his life up again. Jesus destroys the power of sin and death so that with unburdened hearts, we can find our own ways to say yes and sometimes to say no. And know that God knows our hearts and God still loves us. God still abides in you. God's love still abides in each and every single one of you. God still says to you, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are known, and you are made free. Free to love, free to serve, free to share this grace that Jesus, our good shepherd, gives to us. We know love by this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, of his own power, of his own doing, of his own decision. And it's with that love and that power that Jesus takes up his life again. And that love and that power that Jesus takes up our lives too. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. <coughs>